0: This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast.
1: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to our June, or it's not June, August 15th, 2018 edition of Invest Talk. Thank you for joining us. I'm Justin Klein. I'm here today while Steve Peasley takes a few days off. And it's okay because it gives me a chance to spend more time with you answering your questions, our Invest Talk listeners. Now, as you know, Steve and I welcome your questions here on our radio platform. And we're happy to take specific stock questions, of course, but also anything money related. We can talk about various other topics, as long as they are related to investing and saving and retiring and uh, being just financially secure, financially independent, okay? Now, perhaps you wonder whether you, the do-it-yourself type of investor, is making the right decisions, Maybe you need an explanation of a certain investing term or process or strategy or style. Well, we do our best to get you serious and unbiased answers on today's program. But I need you to call in with your questions at 888-99-CHART. We encourage your participation. Once again, that is 888-992-4278. Now, at some point, almost everyone has some debt take on some debt, whether that's a mortgage or uh, student loans or a credit card debt, hopefully hopefully not. But if you are young, married, and you've got one or more children, you might have more debt than others. Even if you earn a decent paycheck. And maybe your debt balances are uncomfortable. And you know you need to pay them down as quickly as possible. Where do you start? How do you begin that process? I'll look at the into that in just a few minutes. But before I dig into that story and some others, let's follow Invest Talks tradition and go to a recorded call that came in earlier on our anytime listener line at eight 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 ninety nine chart
2: Hello, this is uh,
0: Jeff calling from uh, Woodland, California. I have, uh, enjoy your show. I just received your newsletter and so forth. And you talk about certain sectors of the market that are overweight and underweight could you um, elaborate that on your next program i guess i was under the misconception that overweight meant that you probably could should sell the stock as opposed to retaining or even increasing it in your portfolio so i look forward to your question and i'll listen to you on air bye-bye
1: well what he's referring to is if you're an invest talk insider you'll get our monthly market update and forecast and we, we We put each of the different asset classes uh, in different categories, both underweight, equal weight and underweight. Um, basically what that means is based on your, your your normal allocation for that particular sector or industry, you want to be have more of it or less of it. okay? And the reason we say that is because a lot of people say, well, is this stock good to buy? Or is this industry good right now? Well, that answer is going to differ between people and circumstances and goals, right? You might like, uh, and we might like a particular company, but it's uh, it's aggressive, right? It's uh, aggressive by nature. Maybe it doesn't pay a dividend. Maybe it's a small cap stock. Or maybe it's just an industry that is cyclical. And for somebody who is an aggressive investor, a 5% allocation to that particular stock may make sense for them. And when we say, well, let's go with the sector, let's say we are underweight a sector, and typically your average allocation is 5%. Well, maybe you want to bring it down to 3 or 2% because you're an aggressive investor and it's cyclical whereas maybe a conservative investor they want some exposure there but they don't want a ton and so a normal allocation might be 2 or 3% and an underweight should be either maybe a 1% position or eliminate it from the portfolio right now okay so that's what we talk about you know people will call up well what do you think of this sector how much should I put in this stock? Well, a lot depends on your risk profile. How risky is that particular investment or sector? Okay, So hope that clarifies. Underweight is what you want to have lower than what you typically would want to own long-term in that particular stock or, or sector or asset class. Overweight is is you want to increase that maybe a little higher than what you would expect long-term. And then equal weight is obviously uh, having your your normal allocation in that particular asset class. Now, in preparing for today's program, we came across a good how-to story at investopedia.com. concerns the subject of personal debt. Now, almost everyone has some personal debt at any given time. So we're going to take a look by the numbers. The median credit card debt in American households is currently $2,300. Many families have various other types of debt as well. According to NerdWallet, the average family owes $178,000 on their mortgage, $27,000 on their auto loan, I'm rounding here, by the way, and 47000 in student loans. It's a lot, student loans. That's certainly marched up over the years. That's one thing to deal with debt when you have just one type of loan. And maybe you carry a balance on only one credit card. But it can get overwhelming and stressful and confusing if you have multiple types of loans, balances, repayment plans, etc. At the same time. So you need a strategy for that debt repayment. And here's how to determine what to tackle first when you have multiple types of debt. First. Organize your debt and the money you owe. Make a list of everything you owe. Cite the balances, the loan amount, the, the minimum monthly payment that you owe on each debt, and the interest rate. And then you want to prioritize that list. Put it in a certain priority. Now the list with the highest interest rate to the lowest interest rate is how you should prioritize it. Then you list by the lowest balance to the highest balance out. Mathematically speaking, the best way to pay off debt is to tackle the debt with the highest interest rate first. Because you'll be saving the most on interest. So when you pay it off, the more you'll save. Number two, here's, how, here's one example of how you could strategically repay all of your listed debt in the most financially efficient way possible. Say you're paying off credit card A at 19% interest. Make the minimum payment on all of your other debts until that credit card A is paid off. Then move on to credit card B, down to fifth, what that maybe is charging 15%. Make the minimum payment on all the other debts until you pay that credit card B off, and so on. And that's really the simple way to go. It's not, not complex. And you can see that it's leading to the most important part, which is once you can comprehend the extent of your debt, you can create a tangible plan of how to manage and eventually pay all of it off. And that's the ultimate goal. And then you don't stop there. Once you pay off that debt, you say, okay, what was I paying towards that debt on a monthly basis? Now I'm debt free, it's going to feel good. Then you want to say, I'm going to take that same amount and now put it into savings, investing, an IRA, Roth IRA, 401k, etc. Emergency fund. And continue on with that. Don't change that habit. Because the odds are, if you're in much debt, you're probably behind on your retirement goals as well. Now, once you pay down that debt, you might want to get some professional help with your investments. So, Steve and I are ready to guide you or your friends or family. So, get a message through us on investtalk.com. You can call our Dana Point office at 800-557-5461. Or you can find the contact uh, information right there on investtalk.com. This is InvestTalk. I'm Justin Klein, substituting today for Steve Peasley. He'll be back on Friday. Now, each month, Steve and I invest a significant amount of time and money into invest Talk, the radio program, the podcast, and the website as well. So please tell your friends and family members about our invest Talk platform. Maybe encourage them to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. We are committed to helping you achieve above average investing skills. And I'm taking your questions right now. All types of questions. I want to hear from you at 888-99-CHART.
3: It's a Wednesday Invest Talk. Can you believe it? August is already half over. Here's another more serious question. Is your portfolio properly diversified? Well, if you're not sure or if you know you need assistance making the right adjustments, get your questions into Justin right now. He's here and he's taking your finance and investment questions live. 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Gene in North Carolina,
1: but he wants to talk about real estate prices in California.
4: Yes, hello. Are you there? Yeah, you
1: want to talk about real estate prices in California, yes. What What, uh, what do you want to know?
4: Okay, well, it's, uh, it's sort of a leading question. Uh, I, if, if I just gave you an example, for example, of a, of a, a, a three-bedroom, two-bath house with a garage and a quarter-acre lot, I know the prices are higher in California, but there's a different aspect I wanted to ask you about. If I was to break down the price of a home in a quarter-acre lot into two components, one is the structure and the other is just for the bare lot, is it true that in California maybe over 50%, maybe 70 or 80% of the actual price you'd be paying is actually for the empty lot and not for the structure?
1: Yes, that's definitely true. Uh, you know, there, there are varying costs to build uh, around the country, so uh, it, it's, it's certainly not static, but the, the vast majority of the cost of, of purchasing homes in California now, and now you're talking about inland, in the desert, that might be something uh, different. But if you're along the coast you know, in, uh, in San Diego, Orange County, Los Angeles, uh, you're talking about the Bay Area, San, you know, uh, Marin County, etc. Those are all going to be homes uh, that you're speaking of, probably in the neighborhood of seven, eight hundred thousand dollars or up, depending on how new they are, nice they are, amenities, etc. And I would say definitely the majority of that cost is the land underneath the home, not necessarily the actual structure.
4: That's what I remember. I I lived in California a long time ago, maybe about 20 years ago, and in the other parts of the country, like where I'm in North Carolina, it's sort of the opposite. Where maybe 80 or 70 percent of the actual cost of the of the how of buying the property is the existing or the new house structure, and it's it's not the empty the empty lot itself is maybe 20 to 30 percent of the cost. Does that sound right to you? Yeah. Or have you heard of that? Yeah, that's
1: absolutely. That, that. Yeah, that's absolutely true, I mean I have a, a friend who has a very strong business uh, on the East Coast, uh, he does, uh, repairs roofs and things like that, and has, has a very good business. I believe he purchased a home for something about a million and a half dollars, actually in North Carolina. and. It's quite the uh, it's quite the home, uh, you know. It's behind a pearly gate. It's large, and uh, that's what he paid. He couldn't he couldn't stomach coming to California, even though I live in Laguna Beach, California. Uh, he he loves it here as well. His wife does as well, but they can't stomach, you know, maybe a two-bedroom condo, a three-bedroom condo in Laguna Beach, for the same price. So it's certainly uh, real estate is definitely local.
4: Yeah, but, but I guess what I mean, so, so it sounds like the ratios are flipped, are flipped upside down from one place to another. Does that sound right? Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely varies It definitely
1: varies between.
4: It, and that affects the, the amount you pay for um, homeowner's insurance, right? Because you're, you're just paying for replacing the structure.
1: That's, that's somewhat true. Uh, that's a more complex answer. Thanks for the call, Gene. I want to hear from you. 88899 chart is the number 992 4278. This is Invest Talk.
3: You can listen to past Invest Talk programs on demand and for free anytime at InvestTalk.com. Or you can subscribe to the Invest Talk podcasts at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please do so. Then listen, rate, and review. This helps us improve our Invest Talk programming and it makes it easier for other people to find us. But now, Justin's here and he's taking your calls. 888 99 Chart.
1: We're going to go to James in Sonoma. You have a follow up real estate question.
4: Along those lines, um, you mentioned North Carolina, and I just was at uh, some friend's house down in Southern California, and they had a friend visiting who did, uh, who lives in a place called Southport, North Carolina, and she loved 3,000 people, and they so, get you from get you to Noma, uh, and um, and uh,
3: you. James,
1: uh, James, James, I, I think you're going to have to call back. You're cutting out. Uh, you're cutting out. I'm sorry. I, I, I wanted to answer your question. Give us a call back and hopefully we can get a solid, more solid connection and get your question answered. Let's talk a little bit about interest rates. Uh, it's our main talking point today. How do interest rates affect the stock market? And I want to kind of start... With the basics uh, because a lot of people don't really understand where interest rate moves come from Uh, and and certainly there is the the supply and demand of money and that's really the movement of interest rates just like anything uh, interest rates are the cost of money okay the price of money just like anything that has a price that price moves long term, typically by supply and demand. And the Fed, Federal Reserve, controls what is called the Fed Funds Rate. And this is the rate at which banks borrow f- and lend to each other overnight. Okay, And this rate has a, a, a direct effect on the overall economy as well as the stock market. Now. The way the Fed does this is they either increase the supply of money and that pushes the price of money down, right? Just like anything, you increase supply, prices tend to fall and vice versa. They reduce the supply of money and price of money rises, okay? Now, when that Fed funds rate rises... It starts to affect what is called the prime interest rate. And this is a rate that commercial banks charge their credit-worthy customers. And it's largely based on the Fed funds rate. This also can affect mortgage loan rates, credit card rates, as well as other consumer and business loan rates. Why? Because the bank is borrowing from other institutions, other banks. And typically, they are Passing that cost on to you the consumer or the businesses Now what this does is this increased cost of capital cost of money Starts to leak into the economy in various ways Makes borrowing more expensive So if you want to go buy a car the loan is a little more expensive. You want to go buy a house, the mortgage is a little more expensive. You want to carry a balance on your credit card, the credit card rates are a little more expensive. And what that does is it reduces the amount of discretionary spending people have in the economy. And this can also affect business revenues, as well as profits, why? Because their cost to borrow goes up. And you can see how it doesn't necessarily have a quick short-term effect, but what it does is over time, that higher cost of, of money becomes a drag on cash flows for businesses and consumers. Now, usually the rates increases are small, and uh, you know the minimum payment on a credit card will rise slightly, and for most people it's not a big deal. But it makes it more difficult people to spend, pay down their debt, and those people that were barely hanging on before are suddenly defaulting, and this is incre- this eventually at some point will increase the overall default rate that banks have. So typically, banks will do well as interest rates rise because they can lend at higher rates and pass that on to lenders or consumers and businesses. But at some point, that higher cost of money turns into loan losses, and that's where things turn from positive for banks to negative. Now, this is also something you need to understand with it with the bond market interest rates rise bond prices go down interest rates go down bond prices go up and for income oriented investors higher interest rates tend to weigh on what we call bond proxies utilities reits consumer staple companies that pay dividends and that's why you saw a lot of them drop earlier in the year and they're starting to recover because rates just really haven't really skyrocketed and they're weakening. So I hope that gives you an understanding of how it eventually will affect companies, markets, consumers, and how interest rates work both near-term and long-term as well. Now tomorrow on Invest Talk, how much tax will you owe on stocks you sell in 2018? We're gonna talk about that, but I want to hear from you right now at 8899 chart.
0: Our podcast continues on next. It may be hard to believe, but the average 401k investor misses out on over $5,000 per year in investment gains. How come? Poor timing and subpar fund choices. That's the big challenge that is being met now with active 401k. The typical 401k plan has limited choices. People don't know what to do, and that's exactly why active 401k was devised. It may be just what you've needed. It ranks your current options within your current employer's plan, and then all you do is log in and make the changes. You'll be told exactly what to buy, what percentages, and what funds. This program is offered by invitation to KPP clients and a limited number of our listeners, too. And if you'd like to see more about it, just go to investtalk.com and click on the Investments tab and then look for Active 401k. Now let's get back to our podcast. <music>
3: heard us talking about it InvestTalk Steve Peasley will be returning to San Jose August 29th. There may only be one or two remaining appointments available with Steve so if you understand just how valuable it could be for you to receive his personalized no-cost portfolio review please register now at InvestTalk.com. Justin's here, the phone lines are open and he's taking your financial and investing questions live. 888-99-CHART.
4: Hey, how are you guys doing? This is Tyler in Seattle. I had a question on HCLP. They uh, recently announced a dividend increase to 20%. Um, I know you guys aren't usually really big on limited partnerships, but I thought this dividend was pretty attractive. Uh, If you guys can give thoughts, again, ticker symbol is HCLP. Thank you. Have a great day.
1: All right, he's looking at HCLP, and uh, if you're watching on our YouTube live stream you'll see uh, I have Y charts up. So I'm checking the the news on that. Uh, the, it does say that they have a, a dividend yield of 24%. Now this is a master limited partnership, so understand that you are going to be taxed at your ordinary income tax rate. There are going to be some tax filings you're going to have to do. It's uh, you're going to get a K1. You're you're not it's not your simple, straightforward uh, stock out there, right? But they are in the chemical specialty sector. Uh, they are in the... I believe they're in the fracking industry, to be honest with you. Uh, and I want to... Let's see. I got to look into this a little more. The, I Usually when I see a, a yield of 24%, I go, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Why is that? Usually that means that... They're going bankrupt, or they have some major issue. Now, they don't have a lot of debt. Their enterprise value is only $1.3 at and a market cap of $1.1 billion. So it doesn't look like they have a lot of uh, a net debt. Their dividend is supposed to be $0.75 a share. Backwards-looking, it's about 9%. Forward-looking, it's about 23%. I need to look into this. Is this a one-time thing? Is this going to be consistent? Now, the stock certainly rallied on this news uh, recently from about $10 a share, hit high about 14 Now we're still down to about 12 dollars Shoot me an email. Uh, go to investtalk.com. Uh, hit Contact Justin. Shoot me an email on this. I need to do more research. What is this coming from? Where are they getting the cash flow? Why do they do it? Now, the... They own twenty-four percent. By they, I mean management. I'm sorry, not twenty-four percent. Thirty-five percent of management owns shares. So it tells me that maybe they're doing it for themselves, and that not necessarily is, a, is not necessarily a bad thing. One thing I do like is that they don't have a ton of debt. But the odds are, if they pay out this dividend. You know, their operating earning yield is only 18%, so they're going to be taking on more debt to pay out this dividend, and I want to understand why they're doing it. They see an increase in their business. Uh, Are they just trying to reverse the effects of the change in rules when it comes to master limited partnerships because that has uh, weighed on the industry uh, so far this year so shoot me an email i need to give you a little bit more research and understand the depth of this company before i can give you an answer on whether that 24 percent is sustainable or not let's talk a little bit about the housing market uh, we had a call earlier today uh, we had a call yesterday about home prices and it's true that the medium home value has now risen about eight percent over the past year, and the majority of markets nationwide are now or majority of homes nationwide are now more valuable than they were pre-recession, right? The pre uh, the last housing bubble, and a lot of people are going to use that as a stat that says, well, home prices are. Unsustainable. They're overvalued. We're in another bubble. Uh, and, and I would say there is some truth to that, but it's not the same type of bubble or overvaluation that you saw in the last era. The last era was driven by poor underwriting standards, by appraisals that were biased and inflated, by banks that were... Packaging up mortgages and slicing off pieces to make them look like they're safe when they're really not. Even though the underlying, underwriting practices were very poor and risky. And so, what what are, what's driving home prices today? Well, first off, you have to talk about jobs and incomes. Because long term... Incomes and the level that they rise at determines the long-term increase in real estate prices. Why? Because what pays mortgages? What pays rents? Well, incomes. So for an aggregate, long-term, for housing prices to go up, people need to make more money. And while that's certainly happening to a degree, many don't feel it's happening as fast as it should. And that's a topic for another discussion. So that's to start. Incomes are rising. Now we go into recession, things certainly will change. There will be layoffs. How much will incomes go down? It's hard to know, but that will certainly be a, a factor that will determine what happens to real estate prices during the next recession. How bad is that next recession? And then the second factor has to do with interest rates. And this is what has been a tailwind to real estate prices for the past 30, 35 years, is that interest rates have been on a steady march down. Why? Because central banks have fought every recession with lower rates. And lower rates than what you saw during the previous boom. Or previous good market. Now we're kind of at the end of that rope. Okay. So it's certainly been uh, the, the, the drop in the Fed funds rate to really zero or negative if you include QE. Is really what has been a been rocket fuel I would say to the overall housing market. So where interest rates go from here, well, I think long-term they go up. And that is going to be a headwind for real estate prices globally, or globally and locally. So don't think that uh, you know we're, we're necessarily in the same type of bubble or overvaluation that we were in before. It's driven by different factors. And I think the main difference is this is driven secondarily by very low interest rates, which may or may not stay at these levels, whereas before it was mainly, the secondary factor, because you had a good economy then, was poor underwriting standards, poor practices within the industry. Have those all been fixed? No. But it's not the same type of market as you saw in the last bubble. Let's go to Chris in Pittsburgh. How you doing, Chris? Good. How
2: you doing, Justin?
1: Good. You want to talk about gold?
2: Yeah, it's the ticker symbol Gold, G O L D. It's uh, Rangold, actually. Called Rangold. It's a gold mining stock, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. What's your opinion on that? They've been down for a while, actually. So, this mm-hmm. is, yeah, just let me know your insight and, you know,
1: thank you. <laughs> well, I... I, I do think long-term uh, gold will go up. Now, it has been, been hit on the chin recently because of the strong dollar, frankly. Uh, that's really hit the industry, hit the price of gold, uh, and, and that's, that's what you're fighting with right now. Now, will this turn around if we start hitting recession and the Fed starts to hint at, at pausing uh, QT or raising interest rates? Yes, you'll probably see a weakness in the dollar and gold rising. Um, But uh, I think we hit some sort of at least short-term bottom today you had a a massive drop you had massive volume and Will that ultimately be a a longer-term bottom? I I can't tell you Uh, what I can tell you about Rand gold However, it it is is that it is one of the better Miners in the industry. I'll say that so I like that that you're looking at Rand gold G.O.L.D Because they pay a nice 3.1 percent dividend they're profitable they remain profitable, even though uh, prices or, or sales are down, uh, earnings are down, obviously because of gold prices are down. So if you're looking to build a, a longer term position in miners or gold, this is certainly a, a good name to to be adding. Uh, but you, you know where the the end of the the recent dollar rally will will ultimately be? It may be here, uh, but it also uh, may not be so you have to be prepared for a lot of volatility and that's what you're going to get when you deal with the gold market and especially gold miners
2: but long term you, you think it's a good buy right
1: yeah i do think long term you know you're getting a nice 3.1 percent dividend they have very little debt if any at all Uh, Their return on equity long-term is above uh, industry average. They can afford that 3% dividend from a cash flow perspective as a cash dividend pay ratio is only 75%. And that's in a a, a tough market. Uh, So I like it. Enterprise value to EBITDA is 14, which isn't super cheap. Definitely not the cheapest miner that you're going to find out there. But from an execution strategy, an execution standpoint, long term, it's a name that I would I would definitely be adding to if that's something that you're looking for long term in your portfolio. Thanks for the call, Chris. I'm Justin Klein. I thank you for making time to join us here each weekday from about four until five p.m. Pacific time. It's streamed live through investtalk.com as well and broadcast live in the Bay Area on AM 1220 KDOW. Now, do you know what we have created? A set of integrated platforms the Invest Talk Radio broadcast, as well as the live streaming on the web presentation, a deep podcast library, and of course, all of the resources on investtalk.com. So while I'm thinking about it, why don't you go over to iTunes. For just just a minute, it takes a minute to subscribe as well as maybe review, rate and review the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, etc. So this will make it easier for everybody to find us in searches and just get our message out there to a broader audience. Well, the phone lines are open for the last segment of the day. I'm here for you, ready for your questions at 888-99-CHART.
3: Invest InvestTalk is made possible by KPP Financial, where their Disciplined Equity Program offers consistent exposure to the equity markets by focusing only on high-quality companies listed on U.S. exchanges. KPP has developed a strategy that filters through thousands of stocks based on business quality, chart strength, and underlying value. With this strategy, your portfolio is concentrated, but KPP limits exposure to any one sector of the market. Now you can try to duplicate this strategy on your own or you can get serious and call Steve or Justin at their Dana Point, California office or send a contact message to Steve or Justin through investstock.com. And now, Justin's here and he's happy to answer your investing questions. Call 888-99-CHART.
4: Hi guys, love the show. I just have a quick question. So I just graduated college, got my first job, everything's going great, but I'm trying to make a little extra money on the side. Recently, I started day trading. I um, haven't invested a ton of money in there just yet, because I'm just getting started off, but I want to know if you had any tips or recommendations for me going forward uh, with day trading, or if you had any other better investment opportunities for me, you think I need to utilize now in my young 20s, uh, that'd be helpful, too. Thanks for the help, guys. Love the show.
1: Well, I would say when you're looking at day trading, all you're focusing on is the technicals. Uh, understand technicals, understand indicators, uh, RSI, R-squared, uh, MACD, candlestick patterns, and I would say patterns. Uh, pattern recognition when it comes to chart reading is probably a number one for me if you are day trading. Now, I don't recommend it for uh, most people. you got to have a lot of experience. You're going to cut your teeth and learn a lot of things the hard way. Uh, it's very emotional. Uh, you need to have a plan going in of any trade. And you need to stick to it. And that's certainly the the, the, the at least the long and short of how to be successful as a day trader now. Uh, it's difficult, 90 plus percent of people fail at it, uh, mainly because of that emotional aspect. And so uh, do, you know, do I recommend any, uh, anything else? At your young age, I, I would say just continue to learn. Continue to learn how to save. Uh, you want to make more money, uh, and you ultimately want to make uh, more money to save and build a nest egg, build a safety in your financial life. So uh, I love the question. Uh, I understand that day trading is hard. Don't uh, don't don't jump in too quickly. Start small. Learn when you learn your mistakes. Uh, hopefully, they don't cost you too much right and that's why you always start small so i hope that helped glad i could I uh, hope glad we can help out some new investors and uh hopefully avoid those mistakes that are, are classic you know new investors tend to do that they kind of jump in the day trading and they think they, they they make one or two good trades and they think they know exactly what they're doing but odds are you're going to Kind of fall flat in your face at some point and you need to, you'll probably be humbled by it but you need to be aware that of the risks and make sure you're not risking more than you're willing to lose 888 chart 888-992-4278 is how you get through and ask your question on this wednesday edition of invest talk we are going into the last segment show is nearing the end but we still have about 10 minutes left in the program so let's talk about the financial and investing questions that are on your mind. Get your calls in now. I want to hear from you. 88899 chart. That's 992 4278 This is Invest Talk.
3: Invest Talk Steve Peasley will be returning to San Jose August 29th. There may only be one or two remaining appointments available with Steve. So if you understand just how valuable it could be for you to receive his personalized, no-cost portfolio review, please register now at investtalk.com. Justin's here, the phone lines are open, and he's taking your financial and investing questions live. 888-99-CHART. Go to Bill in Fremont. How you doing,
1: Bill?
2: I'm okay. How are you, Justin?
1: I'm doing great. You have a question about trading?
2: Uh, yes, I do. Uh, I'm new at trading. I haven't even opened an account or anything like that. Just kind of on a simulator. I was wondering if there's any kind of classes I could take that would help me with my trading skills if I, you know, but when I jump into it, I, I just going into a blind and just doing it on my own just doesn't seem right. I just don't feel right about doing that. Can you recommend classes?
1: Well, I can't recommend classes. I can say that we are working on something along those lines uh, uh, that may be coming out the end of the, uh, near the end of this year. Um, so just FYI okay. on that. Uh, uh, but I would say, what you need, continue to paper trade and focus on technicals, focus on pattern recognition, understanding, okay. uh, you know, consolidation patterns, support, resistance, those type of things. That's where you're going to Find the best trades, uh, Fibonacci retracement, things like that. Those are what you need to use and and learn, and you'll you'll be a much better trader if you do that. So uh, I can't yeah, sit here and okay. recommend a particular a particular uh, uh, class, but we do have books on our site that are technical focused, and that might be a good place to start to start learning candlestick patterns and things like that.
2: Yeah, that's what I've been doing on the simulator with Investopedia. Uh, I I don't want to be a quick trader. I don't, I'm not in it for the short run. I want to, you know, get in for the long haul. And Steve and you guys have been talking about that. You know, short term trade. Gotcha. This doesn't work that well. You know, I can I, I understand your point on that one. You guys are talking about having. I, uh, I, I, I see. I do I see. So then
1: that you're you're working on being an investor.
2: Right. Exactly. I, I don't want to do quick business. I don't know. You guys are saying a lot about doing stuff like that
1: gotcha so we got we got our terminology mixed up so trading to me is is, is short term when you say trading I'm just starting to trade uh, that that's 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 short term when you say i'm gotcha. going to be in it for the long term that's saying i'm just starting to invest i'm starting to put money to work um, so so i would say uh, once again we are uh, working on something like that those classes uh, later in the the year so look out for that uh, however, what I would do is, like I said, go to our website. There's a book section, and you'll you'll you just start our learn, learning terminology, understanding how businesses work, both the the how the economy works, how different industries uh, and the companies within them operate, uh, lear, learn what an economic moat is, what all the different uh, uh, metrics that you're going to be looking at are. Those type of things are, are what you really need to do, and focus on saving. You said you just started saving. Continue to do that and learn for at least a year before you really start to put money to work and invest.
2: I sure will. I know you recommended that not too long ago, and I was really happy to hear that. I didn't mean trade. I actually did mean long term, like you said. I don't want to do quick trade. I didn't know the terminology was wrong there. <laughs> uh, yeah. okay, well, there Scott, you go. That's, you uh, that's why we're
1: here. We're trying trying to clarify everything for you. Thanks, Bill. 888 99 chart. actually, are we, I think we're close to the end of the show. Uh, I want to take a quick look at the, the market today. We had a really uh, bloody day in the market overall. You had a strong dollar. You still have, uh, really, what we're seeing is uh, the strong dollar starting to really weigh globally. Uh, and it's starting to hit home here uh, in the United States. And you, you've already seen it uh, overseas. Emerging markets are not doing very well. And that is why you're starting to see these cracks. Uh, The strong dollar has has held up our markets, and our economy is doing relatively well. But what you're going to start seeing in the back half of the year is growth slowing here as well. It's already slowed and been slowing for a while overseas because of that strong dollar, because of tightened liquidity conditions worldwide. It, It typically starts in emerging markets where you start to see the ramifications of tighter money and that is what you're seeing today. So I hope that sheds a little bit of life light excuse me on what is happening in the markets and why you saw such a big bloody day today. Well our hour is up. Thanks for tuning in on this Wednesday. another best talk radio show which will soon be posted to our podcast library at investtalk.com. I'm Justin Klein. Thanks for listening. Steve Peasley will be back on duty tomorrow, and I'll be back on Monday. Good night.
0: Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically.